The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Hi, my name is Bria. Hello. My name is Bria Angelo, and I've been attending Story City for about seven months, and I am now um, serving in children's ministry, which is really fun. So thank you. (laughs) So please stand with me for the reading of God's word. We're grateful that God has given us his word. So after the end of our reading, um, I will say this is the word of God, and we invite you to respond. Thanks be to God. So today's scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now I'll read it in French. Autrefois, vous étiez morts à cause de vos fautes et vos péchés. Par ces actes, vous conformiez alors votre manière de vivre à celle de ce monde et vous suiviez le chef des puissances spirituelles mauvaises, cet esprit qui agit maintenant dans les âmes rebelles à Dieu. Nous aussi, nous faisions autrefois tout partie de ces hommes. Nous vivions selon nos mauvais désirs d'âme livres à eux-mêmes. Nous accomplissions tout ce que notre corps et notre esprit nous pesons à faire. Aussi étions-nous, par nature, voués à colère de Dieu comme le reste des hommes. Mais Dieu est riche en bonté. Aussi à cause du rang du mort dont il nous a ramés. Alors que nous étions morts à cause de nos fautes, Il nous a fait revivre les uns les autres avec Christ. C'est par la grâce que vous êtes sauvés. Par notre union avec Jésus-Christ, Dieu nous a ressuscité les uns les autres. Il nous a fait siéger les uns les autres dans le monde céleste. Il a fait afin de nous montrer pour tous les âges à venir l'extraordinaire richesse de sa grâce qu'il a manifestée en Jésus-Christ par sa bonté envers nous. Car c'est par grâce que vous êtes sauvés. Par la moyenne de la foi, cela ne vient pas de vous, c'est un don de Dieu. Ce n'est pas le fruit d'œuvre que vous auriez accompli. Personne n'a donc de raison d'éventer. Ce que nous sommes, nous le devons à Dieu, car par notre union avec Jésus-Christ, Dieu nous a créés par une vie riche d'œuvres bonnes qu'il a préparées à l'avance afin que nous les accomplissions. This is the word of the Lord. There is something spectacular 
about hearing God's word in many different languages. I look forward to the day in heaven when we get to hear uh, worship and praise being sung to God. If you've never experienced that in other languages, it is overwhelming to know that God's family is so much bigger than the world that we see and know every single day. Amen? All right, that's just a Christianese word. Yeah, I'm with you. I got it. So it's good. So it's all right. You guys aren't saying anything weird when you say amen. Uh, good morning and welcome to the Burbank location of Story City Church. We are so stoked that you are here this morning. My name is Jared and I have the privilege of being one of your pastors. Um, I came in this week. I came back from Texas and I got to walk into my office and find this. So thank you guys for all the notes that you have written. I can't wait to read them. I'm excited to do that. We say uh, Burbank location because we are working really hard to relaunch our Granada Hills location. Some of you don't know this, but we have a location. We have a church building in Granada Hills that we launched right before COVID. And then unfortunately, we had to pull everything back. But we are committed to and excited about relaunching that uh, community. And we will be giving you some updates shortly with that. So I can't wait to pass along some of that information. I think it will be exciting for all of us. But some of you may have wondered why we care so much about church planting. Why is it such a big deal? I mean, don't we have enough churches already? Here in Burbank alone, there's something like 107,000 people as of 2021. 107,000 people in this city. If you filled every church, gospel-believing or not, in Burbank to their max capacity, you still wouldn't reach a fraction of this city. There is something like 10 million people in Los Angeles County, 1.75 million in the valley alone. That literally means we have millions of people around us that don't know Jesus. In the Send Network, there are three churches that are working to plant more churches around us. Research tells us that churches are closing their doors more often than churches are being planted. We are losing the battle of opportunities for people to know, hear, experience, to be trained and sent out. But more than that, church planting is one of the ways we fulfill the great commission that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But he, he didn't stop there. He said, teach them to observe his ways. That's discipleship. And so we have to have churches that are discipling people. One study revealed that established churches, churches that have been around 20 years or more, baptized 3.4 people per 100 resident members, while church plants baptize close to 12 people per 100 resident members. The reality is, is that churches who have been around 20 years or more on average baptize zero to one person a year. And so new churches are the best to reach unchurched people, while established churches often reach uh, church people who are church shopping or church switching. But also more churches means better contextualization of the gospel. The reality is, is the gospel never changes, but our methods must be contextualized to the people that we are reaching. You know, we have a, a way of speaking here in Burbank that does not reach people in Chatsworth. We have different issues in our lives, and that's great. But the gospel needs to be clearly articulated in both places. 
And so for the millions of people who need Jesus, we cannot leave this to only three churches. We have to be about raising up, discipling people up, and sending them out. This is why we are passionate about that. But lastly, it's also one of our values here at Story City. We serve the neighborhoods that we call home. We say that we will live in and learn from the cities that we hope to impact and that we will be more generous to our neighbors than they are to us. This is the heart behind who Story City is. And so if we're going to live that out, we have to have an urgency to us. We have to have a passion about us. We have to say that we are committed to to training each other, equipping each other, raising each other up, and going out on mission. That word, when it says go, is as you are going, going to the places God has already sent you. It doesn't mean that you have to go to, to, to some foreign country. Guess what? The nations are here in Los Angeles. And so we have to be about reaching the nations for Jesus. Good? You guys with me? Good. All right, well, let's talk about our Minute to Mingle question for the day. What is a way someone has shown you love without saying it? But before we get into the answers, it reminds me of the song that was played during the Minute to Mingle question. It goes something like this. All right, you children of the 90s get that. The rest of you don't. That's totally fine. If you need to, you can Google 90s power ballads. (laughs) All right, so what are some of the ways that somebody's shown you love without saying it? Food, yes. I am down for that one. All right, what else? Acts of kindness. What else? Oh, the way they love your children. Yeah, that's good. Knowing something you need. Thinking about you, that's good in a way that's, that's helpful. What else? Hugs. Appropriate hugs, yes. <laughs> driving you to LAX. Okay, now that's beyond love. That's like, <laughs> driving you to LAX is like, sac- that's ultimate sacrifice. That's, that's like laying your life down for somebody. That's good. I like that. I say that because I think I need to ride on Tuesday, so I'm just, <laughs> just saying. That's good. What else? Oh, time. Time is the most valuable thing we have, isn't it? Man, that's a great one. Yeah. Patience. Yeah, listening. Hospitality. Hospitality. That encompasses so much. And hospitality isn't just like inviting people over. That's like inviting people into your world, into your life. That's a big, that's a big one. I love that one. That's good. Those are great, great things. I want you to kind of keep those things in mind today as we go through our message. So let's pray and then we'll get started. God, you are so good. I thank you that there is so much about you that we don't know. And that seems like a strange statement, God, but, but to be God, you have to be so much greater than us. And I thank you that you are, that you are so high above us, that your ways are higher than our ways, your thoughts higher than our thoughts, that you are a God who, who literally condescends to come down to our level. What an incredible God that loves us, that shows us kindness, that listens, that has patience, that is hospitable, that even gets us to LAX safely. You are a gracious and good God. We praise you for that in your name. Amen. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us is the ability to know him. I want you to think about that for a minute. I think sometimes we have too small a picture of who God really is. 
me say that again. I think sometimes we have too small of a picture of who God is. See, God becomes something to us where we, we need something, and so we treat him like a cosmic ATM. God, would you give me this, please? And then you know, I'll do whatever you want to make up for that. We don't intend it that way. It's just we sort of go about our busy lives with this idea of like, okay, life's good until I, f- I forget about God, until I need him. But God is the one who literally spoke this creation into existence, the one that breathed life into humanity. That's the same God that wants relationship with us. And not just some casual like, hey, what's your name again? Like, hey, you know, as you're doing stuff for me. But a God who wants us to know him because he knows us intimately. I mean, think about this. If God is greater than all creation, both known and unknown, right? What we still have to discover about creation doesn't change the fact that God is God over all of it. And so even the parts that we have no idea about yet, God is over And a God who is over all that is known and unknown, and he is greater than all that, then nothing we do could be even close to describing him, let alone understanding him, let alone knowing him. How then, if a God is that big and that great and that massive and that high in thought and ability, how could we possibly think we we could communicate with him? It's like we think God speaks English or something. But that God, the greatest being, the one who made all of creation known and unknown, doesn't just care for a group of people who follow him, but loves you individually. In his book, The Doctrine of God, Herman Babinick says, if nevertheless God wills that we should know him, he must need descend to the level of the creature. He must need accommodate himself to our limited, finite human consciousness. He must speak to us in human language. The Bible says the God who is greater than anything else knows us intimately. Psalm 139, 1-16 says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways. That, that phrase, aware of all my ways, isn't just aware of what I do, but even the intentions in which I do them. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have surrounded me. You have enveloped me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or hell, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. On to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light, light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. 
So it's no surprise that the God created us, the God who created us knows everything about us. The surprise is that he not only wants to know us, but he wants us to know him. Now, we can never fully know and comprehend all of who he is, but we can understand truths about him and know him in a relationship. It's like a toddler to their father. They will not understand all of who their father is by their interactions, but they can glean some things about his nature and his character that he loves, protects, cares for. So while God declares in Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways, this is the Lord's declaration for as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He also says in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, this is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this that he understands and knows me. This is God speaking, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. How did he provide a way for us to know him? John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, this is the gospel that God himself has, has entered into human history, that he has taken on human nature in addition to his God nature, and in doing so, provided a way for us not just to be known, but for us to know and have a relationship with God. Think about it for a minute. If that's true, then we don't just read the Bible to know the Bible. That means we read the Bible to know Jesus. We don't read the Bible to know the Bible. We read the Bible to know God. This is why we spend time in prayer and listening to God. It's why we spend time in gospel community, helping each other learn and grow and understand who God is, what he's done, who we are in light of that, and what we are to do now, the four questions we've been talking about. And so last week we talked about this, this question of who God is, and this week we're talking about what God has done. But these aren't just some random questions as we've been talking about. These are questions important to ask in every facet of our lives. Are you struggling to believe that God is truly your provider? These are the questions we have to ask and answer through in the right order. Remember who he is. He's a generously loving father. Remind ourselves what he's already done for us. He's given generously and provided for us in our time of need. Stand firm in who that makes us, beloved children of God, and whom he deeply cares for. And then ask yourself what you need to do in light of that. That's trust God completely and bring your cares and concerns to him. Do you see how asking these questions in the right order and not in the opposite order helps us to understand how we're supposed to live and who we are because of what God has done and because of who he is? Struggling to believe you can be forgiven? Same questions. Want to know God more when you're reading the scriptures? Same questions. Who is God? What has he done? Who does that make me? Who am I? And what do I do now? Same questions. We live in a time where talk is cheap. It seems like people will say anything and make promises, but not really follow up on that. If somebody says, yeah, I'm coming to that, it means, yes, I'm coming unless something better pops up. 
right? We hear people say stuff all the time, and I think we are all weary about, well, wary and weary, both, but I think we are wary about whether or not somebody actually means what they say, and so we watch, don't we? We watch to see if what they're saying is actually true. There were some people I, were, I was praying for in my last pastorate. I was praying that they would come to know Jesus, and I had a long relationship with them. And after two years, they finally came to church, and I said, what was it that brought you? They said, we watched for the last two years to see if you were who you said you were. A lot of people talk about loving the community. A lot of people talk about loving Jesus, but I wanted to make sure. And so I watched, and I watched, and I watched. Whether people in your life articulate that or not, they're doing the exact same thing. Are you who you say you are? Is God who he says he is? And I can tell that based on your life. I think that's why it's important to understand God's hands-on approach to us. Why he didn't simply stand outside of creation and talk into it. You realize God could have done that, right? He could have just stayed outside of creation and just spoken things and not had any interaction with it, but he entered it to be a part of it with us. There's something incredibly mind-boggling about that. And so if you're taking notes today, this is our first observation for the day. What God has done shows us who he is. What God has done shows us who he is. There's a leadership saying that goes something like this. People don't become what you say, they become what you do, who you are. There's this terrible realization that the older you get, the more you become like your parents. Do you know why that is? It's because of our coping mechanisms. When we get stressed, we go back to those things that were modeled for us, maybe not even our parents, sometimes just unhealthy relationships, sometimes healthy relationships. But our coping mechanisms are the things that we go back to when everything hits the fan and we, we, we're not even really thinking straight. Those are our natural reactions, our coping mechanisms. And so when we're overwhelmed, we go back to patterns and behaviors that are most deeply rooted in us. We don't become what people say we should become. We become what we've seen. People that we are leading don't become what we say. They become what they see modeled. Why? Because what we model is what we really believe. The things we choose to do, especially when no one is looking, say a lot about who we really are. And a couple of years ago, I came to this point of crisis in my own life. I realized that I didn't love myself. Now, sometimes when I say that, it even sounds selfish thinking about it. Like, how could you love? I mean, that just sounds weird. You're not supposed to do that. But, but we are. Because if I don't love myself, I can't really love others. Right? What are the two greatest commands? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is equal to it, to love your neighbors as yourself. How can you love other people when you can't even love yourself? You can't. You know why? Because what happens when you actually don't love yourself is you begin to use people so that you feel loved. And any time that we are using somebody in order to fulfill a need in ourselves, that's actually not love. Because love is unconditional. Love doesn't require something back in return. Love doesn't need affirmation back. Love is love because that's what love does. And so I'm in this place 
where I'm realizing I don't love myself and I'm not believing in who God has declared me to be, my gospel identity. Remember, whether we are a follower of Jesus or not, Jesus is the one who created us and therefore the only one who can define us. We are not defined by what people say about us, but again, I want you to hear this. We are also not defined by what we think of ourselves. That is not your identity. Your identity is only found in Jesus. Now, some of my hurts, habits, and hangups came from my own poor coping mechanisms, and some came from other people's junk in my life. I'll never forget Miss Holman, my sixth grade teacher, who told me my handwriting was so poor that I was stupid and would never amount to anything, and that I should carry a typewriter around with me so people could understand me. Can you believe that? I mean, at least a word processor, a typewriter was outdated even in my day. <laughs> Something. But the problem that I had was that I believed her. I believed her and many people like her who spoke those things into my life, probably out of their own hurts, habits, and hangups. When I finally realized this and the destruction that it had caused in my life, I was pretty angry at God. And I remember specifically, I'm laying in bed, it's like one in the morning, and I'm having this really angry argument with God, but really quietly because Monique was sleeping. It's like that whisper yelling, God. <laughs> and, and I was feeling really lost. And I, and, and I remember just kind of in this moment searching for some sort of stability. And, I, and I, I remember this overwhelming feeling of missing my dad. My dad had passed away many years before. And um, I was just sort of frustrated with God. And I was, I was kind of asking for the impossible. And I was like, God, I just, I miss my dad. And I felt like God tell me, son, I, I would love to fill that role in your life. And I was like, thanks, but I kind of need somebody here. In this moment, I felt like he asked me, son, what, what is it that you're missing about your dad? And I said, I, I'm struggling with needing wisdom. My dad was a person who people would just come and, and listen to him because God had given him this incredible gift of wisdom and he somehow knew how to speak rightly into all kinds of different situations. In fact, towards the end, my dad had cancer and he could barely even get out of his hospital bed. And it was like he held court in his bedroom. People would just walk in our door. No one ever knocked on our house, which I loved. It was great. They just walk in, walk back to my parents' bedroom and there was like these chairs that sat next to the hospital bed and they would just sit there and talk to my dad for hours and then get up and somebody else would come in. And I was like, Lord, I just miss that wisdom. My dad had this way of seeing things no one else could. And, and I felt like the Lord say, son, don't you realize that that wisdom came from me? Don't you think that I can provide the same for you? And I went, duh, yeah, I guess you got me there. And I felt like he said, what else? And I said, you know, my dad wasn't always the best dad. He, he, he wasn't. There was a lot of, uh, early on, there was a lot of abuse. There was a lot of brokenness in my dad, and I think the cancer changed him. And towards the end, he would hug me and tell me he loved me. And I said, Lord, I, I miss that. And in the most amazing, loving response, I felt like God said, don't you realize I love you more than your dad ever could? And I was like, okay, once again, God, you got me there. Kind of takes the anger out of it when you answer like this. And I felt like God asked, 
what else would your dad do for you? And, and, I, and I responded, I said, well, frankly, the last one is one that I don't think that you can provide. And I felt like God say, I am the God of the entire universe. You really don't think there's something that I can provide for you? And I said, no, God, I really don't think it's, it's something that you can do. And he said, well, what is it? And I said, frankly, sometimes my dad would just give me stuff. <laughs> I remember I was in junior high and my parents went away on vacation. They came back, my dad gave me a scrimshaw lighter. And I was like, am I supposed to start smoking? What am I supposed to do? I don't, why am I doing this? But there was a ship carved in the front. And my dad said, that, you know, I, I don't know. I know you love the water. And this is a really cool old, like, pirate ship. I thought you would enjoy it. And I did. I loved that. It was the neatest little thing. It was so random. But it was one of the ways he just, I was thinking about you. And I said, God, I just, I have a hard time with this. And I, and I felt like God say, Why? I said, honestly, God, I'm in ministry. I feel like I'm not supposed to ask for stuff unless it's needed for ministry or unless it's an absolute necessity. I just don't know that I feel comfortable asking for stuff just, or just receiving stuff from you for no reason. And I felt like God just gave me this big sigh. And he said, son, don't you think I want to give you the very best gifts? Don't you think I want you to enjoy things and think of me when you do it? I mean, isn't that the great thing about a gift, that when you give a great gift, it, it evokes this person in your mind? And God was saying, I, I want you to enjoy things with me because I want you to enjoy me as you're doing those things. I love giving you gifts. And that's when it hit me. I said, God, no, I have a hard time believing that because I don't love myself and I have a hard time seeing why you would do something so out of the blue just because you love me. How can you love me if I'm not worthy of being loved? And I felt like God responded and said, tell you what, why don't you try me? Why don't you try me? Let me just show you I love you for no reason other than I love you. Ask me for something that's not a need. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll show you. My daughter and I have soccer together. Those are the things that we do regularly. And so... Um, that's kind of like we, we travel, we watch it together, it's, we talk about it all the time, it's our thing. I help coach, like this is a big deal to us, but my son and I don't really have anything. And if you don't know, my son has special needs and he's pretty severely disabled, but he loves things that go fast and things that are loud. And so I ride motorcycles and I was like, God, this is amazing. There's got to be a way to get him on my motorcycle. My friends and I are trying to figure out this like harness thing and it's a stupid idea, right? But I'm like, all right, this is going to be amazing. But there's no way that works on the motorcycle I have, and so uh, I need a bigger motorcycle. I got gut on this one. (laughs) And I felt like he responded, just watch and see what I do for you. A few months later, nothing had changed, and I was like, see, God, nothing happened. I told you. I stopped thinking about it. I moved on, and to be frank, I was disappointed with God. There was this angst in my heart. I was feeling angsty. And it came time where I had this old uh, truck. It was a fun old truck. I love this old truck. It was from the early 90s and um, wasn't worth very much. And it was getting to the place where I was like, this is the last bit where this is worth something and uh, we needed a new vehicle. And so I convinced my wife, she's amazing, not only motorcycles, but I convinced her we needed a classic car. Because that way it would at least be a better long-term investment. Because we only had a finite amount of money to spend on this car. And I was like, you know, at least if we get something that will uh, increase in value, it'll be good. And she's like, just make sure it's safe for the kids and it's going to get places okay. I was like, yes. So I spent six months 
researching every 1950s Chevy truck in the country. I finally found one up here in Los Angeles. We lived in San Diego at the time, and I was super excited. And on that Sunday, I was coming up to to, uh, buy the truck. My friend Jeff from church said, hey, I've been meaning to show you a truck. It's not for sale, but I thought maybe you can get some ideas because this truck is really, really cool. I would love you to see this thing. And I said, well, yeah. And he says, but the problem is the guy, can only, he only wants to show it today. So if you want to come by, you can see it. I said, all right, yeah, that's fine. I mean, who cares? So I get in the car with him. We drive over to his friend's house. We get out of the car. We're walking up the driveway. Before I've even seen the truck, the first thing the guy says to me is not hello. It's truck ain't for sale. I said, dude, I didn't. <laughs> I'm here because my friend Jeff told me you got this cool truck. I just like trucks. I wanted to talk about it. And so he walks me around, he shows me this truck, it's beautiful, and, and it's a thousand percent outside of my price range. You know what I'm saying? Like way outside of my price range. And my friend Jeff, he goes, hey dude, I'll give you this much money for it, cash right now. And the guy goes, I told you it ain't for sale. The truck ain't for sale. And Jeff offered again, the guy said no, and we're walking around the truck, we're looking, it's got this cool pinstriping. The guy says, hey, you want to take it for a ride? I said, yeah, let's go. So we jump in the truck. He peels out of the driveway, and we're, we're going, we're riding down the street. It's amazing. And in the middle of that, he says, you know, the truck ain't for sale, but if it was, how much would you offer, it, offer me for it? And I said, hey, listen, man, I, I don't even have half of what this truck is worth. I can tell you right now, I don't have half of what this truck is worth. I, have, I can't, get, it would be insulting to even throw a number out. I can't. Okay, cool, yeah, because it ain't for sale. <laughs> I'm pretty clear on it at this point. I get it's not for sale. We drive a little bit longer, and he says, but if you were to throw a number out, what would that number be? I said, once again, I can't offer you anything that's not insulting to you. He had already told me the truck was worth something like $25,000, and I was like, I, I, I'm not, I got $11,000 in my pocket. That's what I got. I, I got nothing. And so a little bit later, he goes, once again, I said, okay, look, I, I'm, I'm tired of doing this. Here's what I got. I got $11,000. He goes, dude, don't insult me. I'm not trying to give it away. I said, I get it. I thought the truck wasn't for sale. He goes, it's not. <laughs> Why are we having this conversation? This is weird. We're almost back to the driveway, and he looks at me, and he goes, I'll give it to you for 13 And I said, I, I don't have 13 I have 11 <laughs> but I tell you what, if you want, I'll put $1,000 down on it right now, and I'll go find the other $2,000 somewhere, like, no problem. And he was like, truck ain't for sale. I'm missing something here. He goes, no, here's, here's what you don't understand. The truck is either going to you or it's going to my grandkids. I'm not putting it on the market for sale. I wanted to go to a truck guy. You love trucks. Here's the deal. If it takes you six months or a year to come with the money, I don't care. The truck's sitting here. It's not going to be put up on the market for sale. You or the grandkids, that's where it's going. If it takes you six months, I don't care. Come back with the money when you got it. Here's the rad thing. My truck sold for $2,000 the next day. I had my $13,000. And I'd like you to meet Ruby. That's Ruby. <clears throat> yeah. She's a 1949 Chevy 3100. I would give you the details, but then I would get lost in that and not the sermon. And so here's the deal. When my son saw this truck, 
it became one of the greatest things in our lives collectively. Every day he would walk past it in the garage because she never slept outside. <laughs> and he would touch it. And even though he doesn't have verbal words, he would hit the door to get inside. And so I'd open the door. He would climb up. It was the first car he learned how to climb into. He would climb up inside and he would grab the steering wheel and he would just start smiling. And if you've ever seen him, he just starts shaking and laughing, just overjoyed. It was like every single day. And then I would take him for a spin almost every single day around the, the, the you know, kind of a loop around our house. And every time I hit the gas and, and the tires spun and the smoke came out, he would just freak out. It was like one of the greatest moments. He clearly loved it a million times more than the motorcycle. Now, we ended up having to sell Ruby to afford my daughter's college tuition, and I will still blame her for that for the rest of my life. <laughs> but my son still likes riding in my new truck, especially when we go camping. But I had two pictures, that's one of them, made into canvas art that I hang in my home. And every time I see that truck and every time I tell this story, it reminds me of that conversation with God and how much he loves me, that he gave me something that had no business being mine, that there was no way I could have got on my own. There was no reason for that. In fact, uh, unfortunately, I ran into that guy's son uh, like a year later and he was angry that his dad sold me the truck. It's <laughs> like, I'm sorry, bud. You can buy it back for $30,000. <laughs> But here's the thing. God's actions showed me who he is. He is the loving father. He's the one that provides. And can you believe that I am loved not because of what I've done? In fact, when God did this, this conversation happened in the midst of my anger against him. I'm crying out in frustration and anger to God. This is where he answers me in that moment. Not a moment of health. Not a moment of goodness, not a moment of, God, you're so great and wonderful, and I'm having you know, happy music with you. It's like, no, I'm pissed at you. And God says, let me show you how much I love you. God showed me his grace, not because I earned it, but because of his goodness, not mine. Many of us have done what I've done for years, and we live backwards by asking the questions backwards. We start, what do I do? Well, I want to be successful and happy, so I do the things that make me feel that way, or at least to be seen that way. But this always makes me ask who I am. And if I am follows what I do, then my identity is always dependent on what I do and how well I'm doing it. I'm successful or happy only when I do things that make me successful and happy. So what does God do for me? He's either for me or against me in those things in the order of questions. But if I'm not successful or happy, then it will always feel like God is not doing his part for me. If God won't come through for me, then who is he? He's unreliable and not trustworthy. It's difficult to believe he loves me when I see him that way. We have to ask the questions in the right order to understand who God really is and who we really are. If we can understand and believe who God is, what he has done and who that makes us, then we still need to answer what do we do in light of who he is and what he's done. Now last week we walked through Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10, through the lens of the four questions. And so I want to do that again today. And so hopefully you brought your Bibles with you. Uh, physical Bibles, I know phones are great, they're really convenient, but again, for the next couple of weeks, it really is helpful if you have a physical Bible. And so I want us to be looking at this again through the question of two, what has God done? And so open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians chapter two, 
<clears throat> you have uh, the New Testament or the New Covenant starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts, and then Romans, and then you get to the Corinthians. Keep going, you'll find Ephesians uh, right there. If you open up your Bible dead to center, that's uh, the Psalms. Keep going to the right, you'll find it. And so here's Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. It says this. I won't try this in French. <laughs> and you are dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature under wrath as others were also. Verse 4, but God, this is where God steps in. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now, we're going to walk through this, and I want you to point out the things that God has done. So we're going to pick it up in verse 4, where God steps in here. What are the things you see God has done for us? Starting in verse 4, what do you have? you got to speak it out louder for me, because I'm up here. What do you have? Okay, God is rich in mercy. That is who he is. But what has he done? He loved us. Excellent. Good. Verse 5, he made us alive. Absolutely. What else did he do? He saved us by grace. That's right. What else did he do? Verse 6, he raised us up. And what else? He seated us with him in the heavens. He brought us into his presence. That's just not something that you gloss over. God lifted us up and brought us into relationship with him, into his presence. Verse 7, what did he do? He showed us the immeasurable riches. He was gracious to us through what? His kindness. He's kind to us. God is kind to us. Some of you don't believe that about God right now. Some of you don't believe that God wants to be kind to you. Verse 8, what did he do? Saved us by grace, gave us a gift. Verse 10, he made us his workmanship. He created us in Christ Jesus for good works. God has done incredible things. Listen, you guys can take this method and take it to any passage of Scripture. Who is God? What has he done? And now who am I in light of this? And then what do I do? It will help you read Scripture more deeply. It will help you understand God more effectively and clearly because each of those things that he has done shows us the kind of God that he is. If you're taking notes today, this is our final observation for the day. Jesus' death and resurrection show us who God is in the past, present, and future. I can say that I would die for my family or friends, and it's really a beautiful 
sentiment. But if I sacrifice and actually die for them or drive them to LAX, it's not just a sentiment, it's truth. Jesus' death on the cross showed us that he loved us enough to die in our place and to create the opportunity for us to have a relationship with the Father. But his resurrection showed us that he's here to continue to help us live in that relationship every day. He showed us that he has the power to make us the adopted and beloved sons and daughters of God through that death. Jesus' death proved to us that he loves us. It proved to us that he has the power to do that. And it proved to us that God wants the relationship with us still today. Not based on what we do, but based on who he is. As we discover what he's done, is doing, and will do, we discover who we are, who we were, and who we are now. And what we will become in him. Amen? Let's pray. God, your faithfulness is beyond anything we can comprehend Your beauty is beyond what we can see. And yet we thank you that you condescend to show us who you are by what you do. That you are faithful and loving and merciful and kind. That you have done incredible things. That you have raised us to life. That you have given us faith. That you have made us co-heirs with Christ, beloved sons and daughters, as we apprentice Jesus. Help us to stand in the truth of who you are and who that makes us and to live that out as we go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. Amen.